Hi there, and thank you for joining us again today for Geezers of Gear, episode number 76. Today's sponsor is ACT Lighting. ACT is North America's leading distributor and manufacturer of entertainment technology products with award-winning brands including MA Lighting, Ayrton, Chainmaster, Luxibell, AC Power, Robert Juliet, Zach Track, and MDG, as well as cable and interconnect solutions for virtually any audio, video, data, or power distribution need from Rapco Horizon, Proco, and Roadhog. Act Lighting and Ayrton are proud to have assisted the entire Super Bowl halftime show design team succeed this year on Super Bowl 54. The halftime show is an event that must go perfectly and provided a perfect opportunity to showcase the Ayrton Perseo. With its compact design, sleek but sturdy die-cast aluminum enclosure, and eye-catching 148mm front lens, Perseo is right at home on stage with the beautiful halftime show talent. The proof is in. Perseo is designed to light the most demanding live events while compromising nothing to achieve an IP65 rating, ensuring it shows up to every rehearsal and every performance. ACT employs over 600 team members who are each dedicated to providing exemplary service and support and ensuring the show goes on by maintaining inventory and 24-7, 365-day technical expertise in nine locations throughout the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Visit actlighting.com today. Hi there, episode 76, and that just made me realize I'm a little bit busy right now. So you may have noticed we are pumping out a lot of podcasts right now. It's not because I want to water it down. It's not because of anything else other than the fact that we have some unbelievable content coming in. So we have, uh, I've been very fortunate to just really have a backlog of amazing guests right now. And um, I'm very grateful, and I think most of our listeners anyways are also very grateful. I know some of you are actually listening to podcasts every day right now, which is crazy, and I love it, so keep listening, and I hope it keeps interesting. So uh, last week, I hope, was not disappointing for anyone. In fact, last week, episode 75 with Benoit Richard was um, officially my longest ever Geezers of Gear podcast at roughly three and a half hours, but it was also probably one of the most interesting that we've done on Geezers of Gear in 75 episodes, and Benoit is a really interesting guy, very good storyteller. I knew it was going to be a long one when he started with, I was born in 1969, and then... 
Um, so yeah, I mean, just a fantastic storyteller, very detailed, remembers things in great detail. Uh, you know, again, obviously very talented lighting designer, but also has developed this really interesting second career in, uh, movie lighting and television lighting. And so please go back and listen to episode 75. You'll probably want to do it in a couple of sittings because it is a bit long, and, uh, but it's great. It's not boring. It's very exciting, very fun. So definitely get a listen to that one. Um, this week, I mentioned last week on the intro that we have Cosmo Wilson coming in. Again, he's on a very short break from Aerosmith and um, their residency in Las Vegas. And so Cosmo, I'm really excited to talk with Cosmo. I think that's gonna be a lot of fun. That is coming this week. A company called Constellate, which is a European uh, company who has come up with a new protocol. And we are going to be sitting down and talking about that tomorrow. And I believe Tuesday is also when it will be launched. I'm not sure yet, but... Um, and that will also have Richard Cadena because I do need a um, scientist slash genius to come along uh, on that ride with me because I'm just probably not technical enough to have this conversation on my own. So that's going to be fun. And um, then, of course, the uh, very exciting episode that I'm about to record right now, which is episode 76 with Mr. Bob Barnhart. And Bob is probably one of the busiest designers out there working on uh, 21 Super Bowls, I think. He does So You Think You Can Dance, uh, the VMA Awards, Ellen DeGeneres, Rolling Stones Live in Rio, the Academy Awards, Grammy Awards, and so on. Bob is a very busy guy and does amazing stuff. So please welcome for the second time on Geezers of Gear from 22 Degrees Lighting Design, Bob Barnhart. Hey, Bob. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah. So you're probably still detoxing from the um, Miami scene and the Super Bowl and the NFL and all of these things that you just went through again. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot we can talk about, but I can tell you this: I never want to see another green grow light for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, I actually an odd way to start this conversation, yeah. but <laughs> I read I read something about that, and I actually wanted to ask you a bit about it. We'll get to that, but you know, I really one of the things is like, you know, most of the rock and roll guys that I talk to have a really interesting beginning. Like there was sort of something that drove them into the lighting business. And sometimes it seems like the older the people are, the stranger that story is. Like sometimes they're outside mowing their lawn and somebody comes up and goes, hey, jump in, we need roadies, you know? And, uh, and it was never though, you know, I went to school to become a lighting guy or I shouldn't say never it's, it's less often, uh, where, you know, it was really a career by design and it's more often just completely by accident and then just kind of ended up there for 50 years. So, um, I'm curious how and when and why you got into lighting in the early days. Yeah, I, I think my story will fit uh, what you just described pretty well. Um, I mean, nobody drove a truck by while I was mowing the lawn saying jump in, but um, it was close to that in a funny way, I guess. When I was 16, I got casted into this uh, 
college production at the college in Chico, Chico, California, uh, to play a young actor in Richard III. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool, right? And um, on the first read-through, they said everybody has to do 20 hours of production, um, like working on the scenery, lighting, costumes, whatever. You have to do 20 hours production, you know, as well as being in the show. So I was so excited. 16, I'm in high school. You know, I'm in the theater. I've got a wood shop at home. Um, I'm going to get to do 20 hours of production and I'm in a college play. Yeah, so I cool. show up the next day at Chico state after high school. So I walk right. It's about five blocks away. I walk into the set shop, which I've never been in before. And I've met confronted might even be a better word by this man that could have been in the Lord of the Rings with zero help. <laughs> He's still one of my best friends today, Steve Ellis. Yeah. And he goes, can I help you? I said, I'm in Richard the third and I'm here to do my 20 hours. And he says, you go to college here. I went, no, I go to Chico State, Chico High. He's like, oh, that's just for the college students. You don't have to do the 20 hours. And if Steve will tell you the story, I look so dejected. Oh, he said, wow. But if you want to, you can come in and work on whatever you want. So I literally went back every single day for five years. Really? Three, year, three years as a high school student, two years as a college student at Chico State. I went, I mean, I was, there was a Wednesday, Steve tells the story better than I do. I said, what time do you want to come in tomorrow? And he says, tomorrow's Thanksgiving. And I said, well, you want to come in early then to get it? <laughs> He's like, no, we're not coming in tomorrow, Bob. So oh, I, I totally fell in love with the business. Um, again, I had a scene shop, uh, I had a wood shop background and, and uh, I liked working in the scene shop. Uh, Steve, who was the technical director, but also the lighting designer for all the shows at Chico State. And Chico State at the time, supported opera dance music it also had what was very valuable which is a roadhouse theater so anybody touring through northern california would stop at this theater and then i actually got paid twice the minimum wage to unload the trucks set up everything run a follow spot put it back on the truck really so i did everything from billy idol concerts to donnie and marie and you know bavarian women dancers and anybody else that actually came through town what an incredible experience without realizing it at such a young age to work with all these different designers and see how they, you know, just use the same adaptive equipment so differently and not just get stuck in that educational process where here's the way you use a park hand. Here's how you, you know, utilize yeah. front light. Does anyone jump out and, and in your memory, like, uh, you know, oh, I, I remember when so-and-so came through with whatever act and, you stayed in touch over the years, like as a mentor or something. Is there any of that? Yeah. So Steve was Steve Ellis from Chico State is definitely uh, was my mentor. Yeah. He was uh, one of the riggers for ELO oh. before he retired, retired into Chico. He's actually chasing his uh, girlfriend into Chico, who was the costume designer. Right. Gil Holbrook. Anyway. Um, so Steve was really a mentor. I, you know, I never really got a chance to, um, sit down with the designers that would come in, but I would watch them work. And of course I'd focus the lights for them and do all that. And I just, most of the shows that stood out the most for me were the ballets. Yeah. When we got a Bella Lewinsky ballet coming into town or a Joffrey ballet, a San Francisco uh, would come up every year and do Nutcracker. Um, the way they lit dance is what got me more intrigued about lighting than anything else, because I found it to be the, the full extent of creativity and you're not serving necessarily the master of, you know, is their face properly illuminated? They're more like moving scenery, which is one of the reasons I love doing So You Think You Can Dance, uh -huh. um, a series we do during the summer. Yeah. Because that that show is 
they allow us to be extremely aggressive. And that's one of the things I remember, you know, this being like 18 years old at Chico State and lighting a couple of dances for the dance productions, you know, the dance department, and just being allowed to like remove a lens out of a 2K, put it on the ground and throw a shadow of the dancer up on the back psych and being like, oh, this is cool. Like you can, you know, you can be creative. I like, I like problem solving. It's part of my yeah. DNA. Well, I've, I've so, never heard, uh, I've never heard of dancers referred to as moving scenery, but it really makes sense yeah. because you're not trying. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not <laughs> trying to light their face necessarily as much as you are, um, just making sure they can be seen in whatever it is they're doing, uh, in that act or in that dance routine. You're trying to help tell the story, right? Yeah, of course. You're, 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 you know, the choreographer has picked some music, they picked X amount of dancers and they have obviously come up with movement to help tell a story right. and the lighting designers, you know, get to help tell that story. So, you know, when I say they're moving scenery, it's not disrespectful by any stretch of imagination, but it's more like what, what helps tell the story of this, of this choreographer's idea. Yeah. And so you say you were doing like spots for, I think you said Billy Idol and, and some rock and roll shows and stuff. And then, and then jet and the black hearts. Right. And then it, (laughs) but it was, it was ballet that grabbed you. And I would have thought, you know, a kid of 16 years old might sort of, uh, uh, be pulled towards the rock and roll side of the business because of its excitement and noise and girls and all of those different things. Um, so keep in mind, ballet's got a lot of girls. It certainly does. And, and very few guys. So we're going with that math. I was, Uh, I was trying to hedge my bet. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Actually. I never, uh, never thought of it that way, but, uh, no. So, I mean, and I guess you were probably a lot more creative and, and, um, you probably sensed, you know, the ability to sort of stretch your creative wings more in, in the ballet and theater side of things than you did on the rock and roll side of things, perhaps. Yeah, baby. I think, you know, one of the other things was, um, scenically speaking, I found, you know, making scenery and especially like props and things like that when I spent my time there. And I also during the summer did a repertory theater in Santa Rosa it's called oh. SRT. Right. Ultimately I got offered a, a two year scholarship to move to California to the arts, do my last two years. And they wanted me to be a technical director major. And if, if so, then they would pay for my school. So I would have done almost anything, including sewing buttons. If you're going to pay for my school. At that yeah. Point. But, yeah. So you did um, how long at Cal arts? You, two years, my last two years of my four years. Oh, okay. So two years, two years as a student at Chico and two years as CalArts is where I graduated. Right. And, and um, then did you leave school and go straight working in the lighting field? So bef- I missed my graduation day because I had already started working for a company called Flying by Foy. Okay. So I used to put up all the flying rig and then choreograph the flying sequences for whatever it might be, Peter Pan, Superman, the musical or whatever. And I did that for about six years. Um, in the process of doing that, um, somebody called me and, and said, uh, there's a uh, sitcom that needs help rigging their pipes for the uh, lighting department. And would I do it for one day? So, you know, this guy called me and offered me three times more money in the one day than I've ever been paid before and said, is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I put on a purposely put on a white t-shirt and uh, decided I was going to walk out of that studio, the dirtiest person on the crew 
to uh, prove that, you know, I'm willing to work hard. Yeah. Um, Cause it just seemed like a good opportunity to meet a lot of people and get into a, an industry I hadn't understood yet, which was, you know, television. Where was that? And, was that, um, was that in LA so or was that still it was in, in LA? LA. Oh. It was in LA and the sitcom was called it's Gary Shamling show. Oh, cool. And ultimately I ended up working on it for three years as the best boy electrician, which is the assistant to the master electrician or gaffer, as they call it in that part of the industry. Right. I moved over to married with children for one year. That's where I picked up my uh, first union card in uh, 728 motion picture electricians. Yeah. I did that for one year and I ran into a famous light designer by the name of Bill Clages. Yeah. And I had just invented my first uh, patented invention, uh, which was the pin splitter. And I started a company called Mutt, More Useless Tools. Um, uh-huh. And Bill Bill Clay just loved the pin splitter. So we got to talking and he got to hear the background that you just heard. And he goes, what are you doing in sitcoms? You got to be in TV specials. TV specials is more like theater and the lighting's more theatrical. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just following people that are paying you. So yeah, yeah so far <laughs> you're just answering the phone. <laughs> you know, you, you have to work in TV specials, but. Yeah. Sorry? Well, you, you hustled in the beginning and kind of got your name out there a bit, but then it seemed like you were just answering the phone, you know, gigs were coming in and like you said, you were following the work. Yeah, I was just, I was following the work and be honest with you when I was 16 and, you know, working on a buddy rich, you know, jazz festival, I thought I like this business. Yeah. I don't really care what I do in it. I just want to be in it and I need to be challenged. Right. Um, so I did follow it. And then, uh, uh, Bill, um, was said, well, come work for my company. We do TV specials. And, and, uh, that's what happened basically is I ended up, um, working on a bunch of TV specials and that's kind of where I've been ever since. And since 1997, I've been a full-time lighting designer. Wow. And so what was the first like big, TV special or big show that you did, you know, the size of a, an Oscars or, a, you know, one of these big award shows, what was the first big thing you did as a designer? Super Bowl 32 halftime show was actually my first big show. Really? Not kind of crazy for my first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 28. I was gaffer yeah. for Bob Dickinson. Uh, it's the first year we ever turned off the stadium lights for halftime show. Um, and then just, a few years later, he was not available. I think the Grammys or something ran on top of it. He wasn't available, and the producers go, "Well, let's just have Bob light it." And wow. I'm thinking that's nuts. Like you haven't seen me light anything. Wow. And were you nervous? <laughs> Still am. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Huh? And it just keeps getting more and more complicated. And I can't oh, wait to get into yeah. that because this Crazy. year was this year was monster. So yes, this was a monster. when, when did 22 degrees, your company is called 22 degrees. When did that come yeah. about? It started about, uh, it's going to come on to its uh, fourth full year, uh, in May. Um, so I was part of uh, full flood, which is, uh, with Bob Dickinson and myself and several other people. And it just became time to, uh, kind of move on and, and go into, uh, my own company with some, some of the younger guys that were really getting some traction yeah, and still are now actually they say they're full traction now. Um, and it just, it just needed to get into a place where I was taking all of the philosophies that I was trying to implement at full flood 
and just go somewhere where I could actually do it and find out if I was right. Yeah. So, um, you know, it just, that happens. We, Bob Dickinson and I were together like 25 years in partnership. Yeah. Um, it's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. And so, um, where, where'd the name come from? First of all, 22 degrees. So 22.5 degrees is, is somewhat of a generic number that Bill Clay just came up with. If you're going to light, let's, let's say we're doing the Oscars, you're going to have to pick your key follow spot positions um, at 22.5 degrees of an angle into a person's face. Generically speaking, if you're working with multiple faces, which you would on an Oscars or any award show, 22.5 is a pretty ideal angle. It still creates a chin line, doesn't get underneath the chin, still gets into the eyes, and it attacks like the edge of the nose, if you will, where I'm not sending a nose shadow over their upper lip. Okay. Um, so now if you want to w- work with Neil Patrick Harris, you, you can get below 19 degrees. He has very deep set eyes, but a crazy strong chin line. So you don't have to worry about anything like that. If you work with somebody like Billy Crystal, who has m- more of a, a f- his features are flatter. They're not, he doesn't have deep set eyes or anything like that. You can actually go steeper. But again, that's one specific person. So yeah. if you're going to deal with that one specific person, fine. But generically speaking, when I go to a, a stadium to survey a Super Bowl, I have to pick my follow spot positions in April. This is long before anybody's hired. Yeah. So I am going to look somewhere in the 22 degree neighborhood. So I just thought it was a good name for uh, uh, the company. Very um, interesting. You know, you always got to think of uh, logos and embroidery and how do your polo shirts turn out, you know? Well, and that's where you <laughs> drop so, the 0. 0.5 too, I guess, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that's funny because <laughs> Bill Clay just called me and goes, I like your new company, but you know it's 0. 0.5. But I said, yeah, it makes it complicated to go to 22.5, you know, dot yeah. com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 22 <laughs> degrees just looks so, better. It sounds cool. Yeah, it just flowed a little better. <laughs> yeah, right? I get it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm glad I asked you that because I never would have guessed that that's where it came from. I knew there'd be a story behind it, though. Yeah, and there's a little education to it sometimes, too, because a production designer will be like, I know, I know you want your key laid at 22 degrees. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> is the company, is it a is it a collective or cooperative or collaborative or all three? All, all three, yeah. 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 So we got John, John Kustner. Uh, Matt Firestone, Travis Hagamu, uh, Ben Green, Dave Thibodeau, a lot of different guys that float around. You know, everybody's freelance, really. But we, uh, most of us work out of the umbrella of 22 Degrees. Marie Turner, our one and only employee, who is invaluable, organizes everything for us. So, you know, I just told Marie about a show that just came up yesterday. I said, I'm going to be doing this show end of April. Here's the show. And let's get Paul to gaff it and Pete can program it and she'll put the whole crew together. She'll get with production. She organizes everything, does all the liaisoning with production and, and all that. So, you know, we work out of like one nice collective voice. Yeah. And then we manage the entire lighting department for the production. So whatever they want us to manage, we just keep track of it. Like we don't do payroll, but we keep track of all the payroll so we can say, look, here's how much the IA is going to cost you. Here's how much, my techs are going to cost, you know, here's how much the gear is going to cost. So right. they're not having to deal with any of those numbers. I just give them one big number. You're going to, we're going to hit you inside this number. If that's worked for you, then so 22 degrees is a design company, but we also try and manage it and make the show 
as easy as possible from the lighting department standpoint or anything else that we've gotten involved in. We've done some set designs or I do, you know, you and I talked about Lady Gaga jumping off a roof. Right. Yeah. And coming up with that whole creative. So anything that we're dealing with, we try and manage that whole thing for them. So it's just one conversation with one person and not them having to right, negotiate yeah. a bunch of different companies. But so is it legally set up as like a collective, like where everybody owns pieces of it? Or is it basically yes. just a shared revenue kind of thing? Oh, it is legally a collective. It's sort of a shared revenue thing. I mean, what what we all we all have our own company. So I have more useless tools. Yeah. More useless tools will invoice twenty two degrees. Oh or I see. My 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 fees. I see. Um, you know, and then obviously whoever is getting paid out of actual 22 degrees or lighting directors that we hire or whatever, then, you know, 22 degrees will pay for them directly and payroll them. But uh, it's actually, it's a nice, if you just kind of think of it as a, uh, that company is like the centerpiece and everybody, uh, you know, invoices through and out of yeah. that company. Um, well, the know, reason it, I'm asking, the the year, then, yeah, I, I ask yeah. so many questions because I find it to be a really interesting business model. And I've talked to other people on here, Fireplay, um, and um, of course, uh, John Featherstone and Norm Schwab with uh, um, Light Switch. Yep. And Light Switch in particular, like their model of managing their collective is a very unique model in that um, they assign the the leadership role every year to a different person within the collective. And so, you know, you might be president this year and next year it's Firestone and then the next year it's whoever. Right. And right. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting because otherwise the company always leans towards that person's management style and goes towards that person's interests and things. It just happens naturally. You're going to lean in the direction that most yeah. makes sense to you, right? And totally uh, agree. so when you swap out management in the company, it tends to take you in different directions every year. And, uh, you know, I, I think of it as a business person and I go, wow, what mayhem. Um, but when you think of it as a, <laughs> as a creative business like that, it's, it's a very unique and interesting business model. Um, so, you know, I don't know yeah. if, if you guys so I, I would look, look at it from, uh, look at it from a historic perspective from, so full flood starts off 28 years ago and, um, a business model based off of the Clagis group, Bill Clagis's company. Yeah. Um, and, and it evolves and I'm evolving with it. And John Kustner comes in as a, you know, young guy out of New York, uh, NYU, you know, Matt Firestone comes in after he graduates high school and starts, you know, uh, working as a tech for Verilite and then ultimately programming and now, you know, ultimately a lighting designer. Um, and Travis and Ben Green and Dave Thibodeau and, you know, I can name a bunch of people. Well, all these people came in so young into the full flood model. Yeah. And the full flood model kept evolving. And then ultimately I felt that it needed to get to where I wanted to take 22 degrees. So all of all the people involved have kind of, uh, I think, come to an agreement on the, the direction that the company goes. And I would say, you know, every time I run into one of our, one of the guys, we're always kind of checking each other's pulse. Yeah. How are we doing? How's the company going? Are we all in agreement? Is there any nudging and adjustments that we all want to do? Um, so I, I think, you know, if I think on our website, it says like-minded and yeah. it's very true. Someone can replace me on a show and um, I find the productions feel 
that they're getting the same people, obviously different personalities, but exactly the same way of operating. Yeah. And that's a comfort zone for the producers. Um, so right now I said, we're very like-minded and I don't think we would be interested in taking on somebody who's not, yeah. of the, you know, going in that same direction. So it's just a different way of going. And I would just say we've evolved into this. We've all kind of grown up into this kind of evolving business model. It's not like 22 degrees was a leap from how we used to run the, the other company. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I love it. I, th I think it's an important um, uh, decision to create a, a collective like that. And, uh, you know, I, I've been paying close attention to the fireplay model as well, you know, and they're doing something very similar on the on the live touring side of things for the most part. Right. And um, it's just really great to have all of those resources under one umbrella and to be able yeah. to pull a show together like that using your own people that you're very accustomed to because they operate within your business all the time. And so, yeah, I like it. I, I'm a big fan of the business model. And you really can't do every single show that's offered to you just because of time constraints and things yeah. overlap and shows float around and they're not always on the same dates. Um, so you're looking for some partners that aren't looking to take your work, but, you know, make sure they take care of the client. Right. So, and a lot of times, of course, we all share clients, even the other companies out there, we share clients. Yeah. So, you know, you want to be kind of, you want to play well with others as a never said on my report card, but yeah, yeah, no, I completely get it. So, um, so Super Bowl, I want to obviously talk about Super Bowl. That's the reason, really the big reason that I asked you to, to come on, you know, I, I, it was a couple of weeks ago and you promised me sort of as soon as you, uh, had a moment to get it out of your system. Um, you, you'd come and talk yeah. with me about it. So, I mean, first of all, you were saying that your first Super Bowl, I think you said 32? 20. Well, first Super Bowl I worked on was Super Bowl 28. It was in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was, uh, I was the gaffer, and it was the, that was the first time we turned off stadium. My first Super Bowl where I was the designer is 32. Right, right. And you've done now, is it 21? Is that the number? Yeah, I think it's, it's, yes, it's over 20, 21 or 22. Yes. Wow. Every once in a while I recount, but then I forget. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is wild. I mean, I, I think that that's an incredible record. You know, there's not very many people who have been to 22 Super Bowls, let alone designed them right. or designed the halftime show. Yeah. So yeah, that's incredible. And I might be getting towards the end of it. You know, I, 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 at some point in time, it will be uh, probably wise that someone else takes a fresh look at it. Yeah. But, you know, I've done a lot of them, which is, it's good. And yeah. I'm happy I've done them. Yeah. But I won't, you know, I'm out of the 22, it's been over like 27 years. So I've sat home and watched a few halftime shows. And I don't think I'll mind watching a few more. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm sure from the NFL standpoint, you bring a massive uh, safety factor as well. I mean, you're an incredible designer and a very talented designer and everything else. But when it comes to that halftime show, because of all of the limitations and constraints and challenges that they put uh, on you, it's, uh, I think it requires someone more than just any old designer or any old rock and roll designer or whatever, you know, it's, it's that's, that's true about the whole touchdown entertainment production staff. Yeah. And of course the whole lighting crew and staging crew that come, you know, if you've ever got involved in a show that let's say happens every year, but you come in, you know, five years into it and everybody else has been doing it for five years. It's like stepping on a very fast moving conveyor belt. Yeah. 
because a lot's already been figured out. A lot is assumed and, and a lot is not even talked about. Yeah. So every time I've ever stepped on a show that's already been going like the VMAs and I started doing the VMAs like six years ago, you know, you kind of walk in and everybody's already, let's say running, you know, at a seven out of 10 and you're walking in the door at two going, Hey, what's the show about? And everybody's running by you. Yeah. So the yeah. Super Bowl has definitely evolved into the size shows that it currently is able to pull off. And I think a new, an entirely new production crew and creative, it would be difficult to get it to that same level the first year just because right. of the learning curve. I'm not saying it's impossible, but yeah. it just will be harder. Yeah. Well, they'd almost have to bring you in as a, as an advisor for the first couple of years that it got handed yeah. off, I would think. But, um, you know, I can only imagine how different designing Super Bowl 54 halftime show was from designing Super Bowl 32. And, Completely. Yeah. you know, I mean, obviously so different. And so for it to keep getting bigger from today, you know, 20 years from now for us to be looking back going, God, remember how archaic it was back at Super Bowl 54? Yeah, right, um, yeah. You know, do they have to allocate more time to it or more money or like how can they keep making this a bigger show yeah i mean i think one yes you would have to allocate more time in the stadium yeah um that's extremely limited and this year it got cut in half yeah so it was crazy totally crazy yeah. um i think you'd have to do that i think you'd you'd have to i mean in my opinion i don't know you, you would almost have to drift closer to an opening ceremonies in the sense that the stadium needs to get modified for the halftime show, but obviously still allow for the football game to happen. Yeah. Well, obviously this, that's the whole problem here. They want to keep playing this football game on both sides of this show. Yeah. And I don't I, know what they're thinking. I've been in companies that have provided lighting to, to uh, halftime shows a couple of times. And one thing I noticed immediately is that, you're like a second rate citizen. You're like, you know, you're as, as big and important as the halftime show is. And as many people on television and, and live that are watching it, um, it's sort of a secondary thing. Like the field is, is way more important than whatever you're doing. And the game itself, of course, is way more important. So it is, I guess, in a sense, it's similar to that opening ceremonies, but the opening ceremonies, you, it gets so much more prioritized. Of course. Yeah. That's, that's my point is, yeah. is I don't want to be, I'm, I'm not saying we should become more important than the game by any stretch of course because not, it's yeah. the whole reason that there's a halftime shows because there is a game, yeah. but it's, you know, I've done some opening ceremonies and, you know, we've, we've modified the stadium where we've put a pit, you know, underneath the center of the field that then became exposed, you know, mid ceremonies. So could you, could you do that? but still allow the turf to be compliant with, you know, with the NFL. Right. Um, you know, could you take a section of seats out and build something into it and still provide enough seating to keep the NFL happy? Yeah. I mean, these are some of the places where you would, you know, need to try and go and to see what we can do several, several times we've been in enclosed roofs, but they have the ability to open, but the NFL wants the option to have the roof open so you can't rely on the roof at all right now if that were to change and you were to go back to houston where the roof has structural integrity or indianapolis and they say do whatever you want that does, as long as it doesn't impede with the game then you know we can bring another dimension uh yeah. into that show that right right now it is a uh, handcuffed and 
you know, next year, I don't know who's going to do it or we're doing it or not. I, have no, I don't know. Next year is Tampa, which is a very old stadium that's very wide open. It has no uh, elevation whatsoever for lighting or rigging or anything else. Yeah. Yeah, actually, as a side note, the last time the Super Bowl was in Tampa, my company provided all the LED stuff on the exterior of the of the uh, stadium, Raymond James Stadium. Yeah, and I, I think I've done two Super Bowls. I think Springsteen was there, and uh, Britney Spears with Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Fun. I think those are the two I've done there. So, speaking of this one, but yeah, so, yeah, this one in particular, Super Bowl Fifty Four. So, um. Tell me some of the major challenges. Like, I mean, I, I would expect, you know, that the roof probably, well, I guess it probably provided as many benefits as it did. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the roof, the added canopy that covers the seats was a good news, bad news uh, scenario. So we've done, I think, yeah, so I've done three previous halftime shows in Miami prior to this one. And uh, there was never a canopy. They added a canopy to cover the seats because they play more tennis there than they used to. Yeah. Um, so the good news is that gave us a rigging position we've never had. Um, so that certainly made backlighting all the dancers and putting a little key light on the dancers, um, but from a different angle than the key light that was going to uh, highlight our two ladies. Um, it may give me much better angle options. Right. Also lighting uh, the field cast at times, giving much better options. So that's the good news. The bad news is that canopy blocked the sun from hitting the grass. And the NFL prefers to play the Super Bowl on natural grass when possible. So that then uh, gave the field crew, the, the NFL field crew, a huge task, which is how to grow grass without sunlight. So their solution was a uh, a, a giant system of uh, grow lights has 700,000 watts, 24 hours a day. Uh, these giant grow lights that were basically on uh, manual tractors, just huge arms, look like a massive like irrigation sprinkler system you might see, you know, on a farm. But instead of water squirting out, it was green light. Wow. Uh, 700,000 watts all day. So you point all the icon edges that were on the uh, rails and the vomitories you point them at the field you, it didn't change the color of the grass you couldn't see the beam of light hit the field jesus so that's an interesting that that's, wrinkle that's your indoor rig that pete radice lighting director on that rig then you've got patrick brazel which we added to the team this year who's got the stage rig who's out in a parking lot under a bunch of parking lot led lights he's trying to program out there pete's trying to program in here and jason rudolph who's um on an MA who's de dealing with all the video product, all the LED, any non-moving light LED product, PixMob, that kind of stuff. Um, he's basically having to do it all virtual. Jesus. And then we come together to see how it looks, you know, tw two nights. So you in, only in, got two stadium. nights so, with the actual rig on yeah, the field. Normally, yeah. So normally we get a, like a little look-see, if you will, Tuesday with only a few of our cameras, no, no, uh, Super Bowl, um, NFL, you know, whatever the broadcasting network this year is Fox. So no Fox cameras. And then Wednesday we do real rehearsals and we get three good passes at it. We work all night, Wednesday night so that when we get three more passes on it Thursday, we really can refine it. And then if we're lucky, we get one pass on Friday, which is full dress rehearsal, literally run the set on, 
do the show, run the set off, go home. Um, but it's good for the crew to do that. That's more important for the crew. To me, it's just a preview of what the show's going to look like on Sunday. Yeah. This year, we got Tuesday with only a few cameras, and we got Thursday with all the cameras, and then that was it. So wow. it was um, difficult at best because we're the one department that needs to be in the stadium. No we can't kidding. rehearse this anywhere else. I can't practice it. I can't do anything with it without seeing that stage sitting on the field and, you know, the two systems interacting. So was Thursday a dress rehearsal? Did you have the talent there on Thursday? Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, Thursday. Okay. Yeah. We had talent on Tuesday as well. Oh, but it okay. wasn't dressed. There was hardly any cameras. Right. Um, but Thursday we got three passes at it and that was it. And then we were off the field. Jesus. And were were there so still major, were, were there still major things to work out after Thursday that you had to do all in like viz or whatever? Yeah, I wasn't, you know, I'm hesitant to do anything, quote unquote, major. Um, Adjusting color, nudging timing around, uh, all that's good. Uh, But I can't just do a refocus. Yeah. I can't, uh, there's no way for me to see it. I can't, I can't even walk out on the field standing on the grass and say, hey, nudge your shutter cuts in three feet. I know it's a bit of a prediction since the stage is five feet high, but nudge them in three feet. I think we'll be closer. It'll be nice. It'll be a little tighter. I can't do it because I'm standing in the middle of green grow lights and I can't see anything. Yeah. Those grow lights are a horrible color temperature, aren't they? Yeah. I wa- <laughs> if I had time, I would have made a cue where all the key light was green. Oh God. Just so I could look at like, you know, the producers and the video controllers and go, I, this is what I've been working on yeah. for a week. So I, this How's is it white feel? to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, I, it makes me wonder though, why that was such a problem for a Super Bowl. Like I, I don't think for the Dolphins games, they don't run grow lights in that stadium. They uh, apparently have changed. They changed their grass out three times last season. Really? I I think that stadium is going to have to go to the newer artificial turf. There's a newer artificial turf that doesn't use the little black pellets. Yeah. That you've seen that uses cork, and yeah. apparently the teams are really liking it. Oh. So I think within the next couple of years, um, Miami will probably go to artificial turf. Yeah. <laughs> to the players' benefit, from what I understand. Yeah. Also, the field does not drain as well. So Prince with the rainstorm. Yeah, the middle of that field at halftime was wet, but it was by no means muddy. But you did when that they show, right? Did the stadium? Yes, yeah. Uh, Bob Dickinson and I did it from full flood. When they when they redid that field um, for tennis, and they put the canopy over the building, they flattened out the crowning in the middle so that tennis wouldn't be such a major change out yeah. for them. So uh, well, it doesn't drain as well now. I'll tell so you, I've kind of got a twofold problem. I went to the tennis thing last year at the stadium and it was terrible. I mean, it's, it's a horrible venue for, for tennis. So they try really, really hard. The outside is amazing. All the courts and the, the village that they build outside that stadium is yeah. unbelievable. Um, and I'm going again this year cause I'm just a big tennis fan, but inside the stadium itself, if you're anything other than the really expensive seats at the bottom, you just can't see right. like the sight lines are not set away. up for tennis. You're too far away. Yeah. And if anyone stands up in front of you, it blocks the entire, uh, half of the court. So, right. yeah, but I was going to ask you on the Prince, on the Prince halftime, which one of you cued the, the rain? rain was my, the rain was my idea. That's yeah, what you're of course, of no, course. That was, that was my idea. Somebody brilliant came touch. up with, with yeah. uh, you know, rain showers <laughs> during purple rain. I mean, you know, I, honestly, even just mentioning it, I just got goosebumps because to me, 
Like there have been some incredible halftime shows, but that one for me will always stand out. Just like Whitney Houston singing the the national anthem always will stand out for some reason. Which which there's a funny backstory to why we suddenly have better key lights at Super Bowl, all because of Whitney Houston and that and that national anthem, which I did. Really? So we uh prior to Super Bowl thirty three, which I believe was the one that Whitney Houston sang at, um the NFL would assign us follow spot positions and they would usually be about 40 degrees left and right of the 50 yard line. So it'd be coming in off to the side, which is horrible for a close up, right? No shadows, eyelash shadows, everything. Whitney shows up to rehearse the national anthem and I didn't do anything at those, those years. I'd never supported it. I just, you know, we were there, but I didn't turn anything on. So she's just under stadium light. She hated the way she looked and made it clear. And the NFL asked if there's anything I could do to help. And I said, yeah, if you can give me false spots on the 50 yard line at the right angle, I can help. So yeah. they did. Oh, wow. And ever since then, ever since then, they kind of recognized that there was something to being at the right angle, you know, and then the show has evolved. We kind of touched on it 10 minutes ago. The show has evolved from earlier halftime shows and the halftime show has become a much bigger production and the NFL, you know, which hires the talent and all of that. Um, I think they appreciate the show a lot more as yeah. part of their Super Bowl. Yeah. And so we certainly don't have priority, but I think they've become incredibly cooperative with us um, over the years. The evolution of the cooperation between the NFL and, you know, people trying to put on a halftime show has yeah. really, really evolved into a much uh, stronger relationship. And yeah. I, I think they appreciate and understand we're trying to do what we're trying to do. And yeah. you know, we don't certainly don't have carte blanche under any circumstances, but they do listen to our requests and understand what we're trying to do. And the earlier we can do them, which is why we tend to do them in April, um, the better chance we have of talking them into it. Right. And probably 30 years ago, a sporting event could be just a sporting event. Today, yes. you have to entertain people, especially when tickets are a thousand bucks, you know, face value. And then, you know, God knows how many thousands of dollars they're changing hands for. Um, and, and you're trying to attract an international audience oh, yeah. to a very U.S. sport. Absolutely. So the NFL, I think, is very interested in attracting an international audience to a sport that's predominantly only in the U.S. Yeah. So other than the other than the grow lights and the minimal time that you had on the field, um, any other significant challenges on this one? Well, you've got two headline acts opposed to a headline act and a guest. If you have a headline act and a guest, then the guest is going to somewhat acquiesce to the headline, right? They've been yeah. asked to come and perform with. These are two separate headline acts, which come with two separate teams, two separate sets of ideas. Um, both ladies completely capable and worthy of their own halftime show, um, but they're being asked to share the time. So that's a different dynamic for a lot of us, especially Ricky Kirshner, our executive producer, Hamish Hamilton, our director, myself, Bruce Rogers, the set yeah. designer who really had to glue all these ideas into one thing that fit on the field. Yeah. Um, it, that's a, it's different dynamic. So if I can, you know, if I can get in to talk to Gaga for, you know, over the three or four months, we're going to be talking and gain her confidence and understand how she sees things and how she likes to be handled. Right. I'm, I'm good to go by the time we get to the, that crunch week. 
right? But now you've got two people that yeah. like to be talked to and handled differently and their camps have different ideas. And so you just have doubled your, your task. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, they didn't do anything wrong, but that is just makes it more difficult for you than what you would normally go through. You know, you can work on a, a VMAs or whatever, and you might have 10 to 14 acts and you've got to handle them all, but it's a lot different than someone who's going to perform on a Super Bowl halftime show right. because it's going to be their biggest audience of their career yeah, combined. Yeah. Well, that's a game changer. And, yeah, and 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 they know it, and you feel it. Yeah, and I know it, and I tell them we're very upfront with them that we know it and that we are in, and we want this to be the best show of the year every year. Yeah, we want it to be better than the previous year every year. So were there you know, any we're in? But it's a lot of dynamic. Were there any? coin flip moments where, you know, one wanted it square and the other one wanted it round or whatever. I, I think, uh, that was, a, was almost constant in a way. Really? Um, they both liked the runway of lights, the Arrington for runways of lights upstage. Yeah. And I think they both really liked the circular stage with, um, the led floor that Bruce put all that together. I think they liked all of that. And then it kind of came down to, their little side stages where they're going to have some moments, what would be on those and then what other bells and whistles could be put into the show and just understanding that, you know, you have an extremely limited load in time and the more technology that's involved in that stage that rolls on the field, the, the more it's going to eat into your time yeah. to get set up. So we basically get about 27 minutes for the halftime show yeah. that has to include load in show and load out. Jesus. And we can leave nothing on the field, but you know, a little bit of atmosphere in the air. So if you could get the show loaded in one minute and loaded out in one minute, they could have a 25 minute show, Yeah, but it would just be, that would be them running on the middle of the field with a stool and a guitar yeah. and, you know, singing 25 minutes. So, um, that, that's just, you know, the math has got to all get in there somehow. So the difficulty with these two camps is they had a lot of ideas and some of them were really cool ideas, but it's like, yeah, that's a cool idea, but I don't see how that gets in in eight minutes along with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, gear. Now, when when I talked to you at LDI and we had you on this podcast at LDI, we talked about the Stelos, the Clay Packy Stelos. And at yeah. that time, you said you were not going to use it at Super Bowl because it was just too soon. And there were just too many wrinkles to be worked out with the variances and all these different things. Um, yeah. You used it at Super Bowl. I did. You, you, <laughs> you know, lied. I put half that light plot together at LDI, which yeah. is very funny to me because I, I can't go to LDI every year, but they'd asked me to come to different lectures. Yeah. And so I went at LDI and I was wandering around the floor and I literally put half that light plot together at LDI, yeah. which was not my intention. Um, but it is, a, you know, it's like a big supermarket. So it is kind of easy to walk around and go, oh, we could use 100 of these. Well, this was also um, so, an exciting year. It, it seemed like the show this year, like even if you don't go every year, to me, this it got boring for a few years where there just right. weren't things that made you go wow that's really cool and this year there were a bunch of those things yeah and i really like that um that whole stage that jeff rabbits put together which was on the floor where you could stop by and listen to lighting designers or technicians talk yeah. about their jobs i i think i think if you can have a lot more of that kind of open format going on and not that doesn't have to be in a traditional I did one lecture about drones in a traditional room, and then I did one about the Super Bowl out on the floor. But I think that also brings a lot of life to it and brings people together um, 
you know, on that floor, which is better than just walking through a bunch of smoky lights yeah. and loose, loose lumens as I call it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I like that they're evolving a little bit. And I like, you know, I don't know if you went to NAM, but NAM's doing a lot of really cool things as well, where they've got loads and loads of training and, and seminar kind of stuff, but it's all free. So anyone yeah, coming to the great. show. Yeah. I, I think that's great that you could just wander by and just listen to somebody. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. Even, yeah. even 10 minutes about their craft yeah. or what they're, what they're working on, how the difference is. So yeah. when it comes to the Stilos, so... The, the main thing I was looking for, uh, which is why I ended up with the Arrington picture, was the main thing I was looking for is what am I going to put on that stage? I knew I was going to have four runways, and I knew we wanted to surround the circular stage with a fixture. So I got four runways of lights, circular stage fixture, and I mentally kept wanting to gravitate towards whatever that light was, it being the same light um, all the way around. So it had a nice cohesive look to it. I, I'm not a fan of garage sales. Um, yeah. So yeah. I like, I like clean rigs. Um, as we've talked about, I like the Swiss army knife of lights. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so that's, I had not picked the Arrington fixture yet. Um, when I sat down with you, but when we were talking about the Stelos, that was my first thought would it go there. Um, but it has a lot of FDA restrictions in the U S right now. Yeah. And, uh, unless you can keep that light, um, from pointing into somebody at 75 feet or less, it has a very restrictive light level. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, hats off to them for even going down this road of figuring out how to harness lasers into a lighting fixture. Yeah. I don't believe the lighting fixture was remotely dangerous. Yeah. Um, no, we had a, we had a, uh, we had a state inspector come by cause we had strictly effects or special effects company that does all the pyro and real lasers. They had lasers there. So the, the person had to come by and test it, but apparently by the, when you get a beam that thick yeah. um, out of a laser, it becomes harmless. Yeah, it's, it's diffused um, basically, or, or yeah, it's uh, diffused. I don't know if that's yeah, the right it, word, but obviously it becomes something for the FDA to figure out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as we evolved as Dave grill, uh, one of my lighting directors and I were working out the overall plot and where goes who and what goes where, um, I sort of gravitated back towards that stylos being on my permanent field truss because the beam is so crisp yeah. and pure, you know, you can say a Sharpie has got a good beam to it, but a Stelios is, is pure all the way through the beam and the edge of it is like, you know, on or off. It's yeah. no fuzziness yeah, to it's it. Razor sharp. So that um, physical lighting position is a little problematic. Uh, whereas you want density, but it's easy to get too dense and then your beams start mushing together, let's say 15, 20 feet off the fixture. Yeah. Um, so the, you know, nature of a, of a laser is it's, it's a pretty consistent width all the way home. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started gravitating. One of the reasons I wasn't that interested in it's not IP rated and that truss is a little bit exposed, not as much as the stage, but it's exposed to, yeah. to weather. Yeah. And I'm not really that interested in going into a show where, you know, 25% of my lights on a, on an array like that are out because they've, you know, gotten clobbered by water. Well, and it's not like you um, can just throw 40 domes over, all over the steel no, or whatever. Not, that would be ugly. Position. Yeah. Ugly in that position, you know, that's right behind a team bench all night. And, um, well, so, I, yeah, I, I can honestly say having, having seen it and I've watched it multiple times, the halftime show, um, 
I can't honestly imagine a Super Bowl halftime show without the Stilos or without <laughs> a laser sourced fixture um, like the Stilos because I just think like if there is an ideal fixture to be pointing up into the air and yeah. away from from the people that is the one i mean it just looked so incredible the colors on because of the additive color system that they've got the colors are just so intense like it's the only fixture i think i've ever seen where colors are brighter than white you just don't see it it's funny that you're using all three lasers to make white but it's not brighter yeah you know this this is why we're in entertainment though and not engineers because we don't understand that yeah but um but yeah no it it, it's a good light and again you know you got to give credit where credit's due where they're just they're trying you know yeah. and it's it's the there it's an infant in in, in, a, in lighting world but i think when it grows up it's really going to be a great light source did it behave yeah they behaved pretty well they yeah. did uh, they didn't like to recalibrate uh into their same exact positions so we figured out a way to keep them um powered on day and night yeah um so that, so that they could return yeah. back to, you know, one of the problems when you put that many lights in a tight array and you're throwing them literally 500 feet, um, Tiny it's very obvious when one yeah. gets like five, 5% off, yeah. you know, it's very yeah. obvious and it's so hard to correct. And, you know, when the Super Bowl starts, when we get there at around 11 AM, it's daylight until, you know, the football game starts. So it's not like we're going to turn the lights on and touch up the focus yeah so Um, you kind of like when you walk away thursday you walk away with whatever your rig is yeah you mentioned the ayrton stuff and the the perseo fixture i think is what you ended up using which is their uh ip65 or 66 or whatever it is um i think it's 66 yeah so that became kind of the predominant fixture around the stage and the yeah except for some x4 bars and then the knv uh um, blocks or yeah. cubes, sorry, and yeah. uh, dots, which were great. We should talk about those. Those were great. But yeah, just the Arrington fixture. So um, Aaron Hubbard with ACT um, said, if you're coming to LDI, I want to show you a couple couple of different things. Yeah. And uh, so I met up with him and that was one of the things, you know, and again, you're standing in the middle of, you know, LDI. There's so much light. Yeah. You have no clue if this light's bright. You can go off the specs. I don't, I'm not a big fan of someone giving me, um, lumens or yeah. whatever I'd, I'd rather have a true photometric chart if you're really going to compare it um but so we're looking at it and i said okay it's interesting lighting he goes it's ip66 i went that's what i'm looking for i like the big aperture i like the big face on it because yeah. you know we do a lot of hokum if you will or it you know lighting becomes scenery without even being beams right where you yeah. just want the face of the light to produce something visually interesting to look at yeah um so I said, how fast does it calibrate? We may have talked about this when we were there. I said, how fast does it calibrate? Because I'm, I think, the only person who really cares how fast the light calibrates. Yeah. <laughs> because I, the last 120 seconds of that eight-minute setup is when we start getting power. Yeah. And that's when things yeah. start getting plugged in. Everything's got a cal, and we only have maybe 120 seconds yeah. to get everything online. Um, so he unplugged the light and plugged it in, and it was over two minutes. And I said, okay, that's a non-starter for me. I, I can't have a light take over two minutes. And about a half an hour later, he calls me on my cell phone and says, hey, I talked to the engineers. They can get it down to 70 seconds. Jesus. I said, oh, if you can get down to 70 seconds, then that I works. think we could use it. Yeah. And Aaron did a great job working with Arrington and, and, and figuring out a way to get us all those fixtures because those fixtures are just coming onto the market right now. Yeah. 
So we had about 124 units there total. And uh, I believe he sold them all as, as seen on TV. Oh, um, cool. So they got, they got shipped out from there Very to cool. their prospective buyers. But so it was a, it was a pretty big task that Arrington and, and Aaron pulled off yeah. to get us the fixtures. And I sometimes wonder like, what am I doing? Putting a brand new, brand light, new, yeah. Untested. You know, on, on, on <laughs> such a hard show. But logistically, I'll, but you know, Arrington's a big company. They're reputable. It's not like it's something. I'm new a company huge fan of that company of Ayrton because first of all, Ayrton is named after Ayrton Senna, who's a, a racing driver and I'm a big racing guy. And, um, but the founder of the company who named it after Ayrton Senna is so into the engineering side of formula one and he's so into making things he's like almost steve jobs crazy about making things perfect and yeah. you know so that it's as beautiful on the inside as it is on the out and and so they're for me their optics their um just the way a fixture looks the way uh you know the effects that come out of it the accuracy of the just everything. I mean, it, they just really, yeah. they're kind of like the Lamborghini, which is funny because they name most of their fixtures after either Lamborghinis right. or Austin Martins or whatever. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, they're kind of like the Lamborghini of, of lighting. And um, I really like it. And, you know, now they're owned by a large uh, Asian company who, you know, has the resources and stuff to, to be able to, you know, because the problem is when you've got like a small Lamborghini Italian factory, no two lights end up being exactly the same. It seems, right. you know, they're both really good, but neither one of them, yeah, yeah. they don't match. Yeah. So no, I'm, I'm a big fan okay. of that company. I, I love the founder. I really like the guys that act and, and uh, yeah, so it was good to I see that. that and, uh, look, they've come from a, from a gimmick light, if you will, no offense, yeah. a gimmick light company with their magic dots and magic blades, which were very cool yeah. toys, yeah. but For they're a toys. They're not workhorses. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, exactly. And, and they've transitioned to adding a whole series of workhorses to their fleet. Yeah. So, you know, I think the light was, I, I, I think maybe the guys changed out two lights in the two weeks we had them rigged. That's not bad. Yeah. And I can't, couldn't even tell you for what reason. And, uh, we were programming one night in a parking lot in an absolute Miami downpour. And those lights, I think got happier. <laughs> really? They were, you That's know, funny. just, yeah, they they are absolutely IP rated. Yeah, well, <laughs> we can I attest to that. I love we where we're at. We now. weren't IP rated, but the lights were. <laughs> I love where we're at now on on automated lighting. That all manufacturers really are going to either their entire line or a line of IP rated stuff. Yeah. And yes, it adds some cost. Yes, it adds some complexity when it comes to, you know, opening the light up to service it or whatever. But they're so much more reliable now with LED engines and, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So you don't have to open them as much. And well, um, I think we can get around the, the 24 screws. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. with just a little more innovation and and people kind of sharing willingly or not willingly, you know, their little discoveries about how to seal these things up. I, I think in 10 years we can stop this conversation of whether it's IP rated oh, or yeah, not. I think everything will be, will be IP rated. Yeah. And, and I think it'll be better in a big picture because you got an led engine that's not producing heat into all the gobos and, and gears and belts. Yeah. Yeah. And also you're stopping all that outside atmosphere, whether it be smoke, just dust, just yep. the world. Yeah from getting into all those gears and everything. So I, I just, you know, my, 
layman opinion would be these lights are going to require a lot less maintenance yeah as you know as we move forward which is good for everybody well just think back 10 years you know if you dropped your iphone in the toilet you were losing your mind right you know now you yeah. uh, toilet's kind of a bad one but you know sink shower <laughs> swimming pool whatever right you right. you know yeah. now it's no big deal you pick it up dry it off right. and make your call or finish your call or whatever right, right? so uh right. yeah i think you're right yeah, 10 years from now we won't be having that conversation which is great because yeah. um it has made things like the super bowl very difficult it I do a Memorial Day show and a Fourth of July show every year. Yeah, that's outside. Yeah, um, and it always rains. Yeah, you know, so it just and you know, and I'm and we do nothing compared to what all these touring guys do. Yeah, that are outside. You yeah, know, with their stadium tours. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's just going to be better for everybody. Uh, the PixMod stuff seemed more subdued this time than last time. I I know last time I remember seeing it, anyways they made a real big deal of it. Like, or you or whoever made a big deal of it where yeah. the stadium kind of went dark and it, it was, it was a thing this time. It was, it just seemed kind of like it was an also there. Yeah. Uh, so the first time we used PixMob at the Super Bowl was Bruno Mars. Yeah. Super Bowl 48 in remember, New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, we gave out stocking caps with yeah, a, I've got uh, one. Yeah. Pepsi emblem on the front and three embedded LEDs. Yeah. Uh, the great thing about PixMob is that they use this infrared uh, signaling system. Yeah. Because at the Super Bowl, there are so many wireless frequencies. They all have to, of course, be registered. And there's a, there's a frequency war game they play for about four hours one day where everybody's got to produce their frequency and see if there's any conflicts. But you still can't simulate a Super Bowl. Sunday. Yeah. There's just no way to simulate a Super Bowl Sunday with helicopter on the outside and satellite dishes parking outside. That's what, you know, caused havoc for our lantern festival last year yeah. in our last dress rehearsal was a satellite truck was pumping a, on a wrong frequency, hit a metal bridge and it bounced inside the stadium and made all the lanterns freak out, Jesus. It, you know, so you, and that's Friday. That's not even Super Bowl Sunday. God. So it's impossible to simulate. So one of the things I really like about PixMob is their infrared uh, signaling yeah, it's system. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, because it's it's just so unique in how it you know handles it that no one else is. I'm not, we're not conflicting with anybody else. So, uh, but PixMob, as far as the wristbands in the stands and the wristbands on the field cast go, they were meant this year as an accent, not as a moment. Okay. No, that's no disrespect. Yeah, it was. That was a layer that we, the halftime team, wanted to help kind of glue the two ladies together I with see. a universal, you know, visual. So it was really just meant to help with that. I mean, when you look at uh, the difficulty of Shakira had a stage right little satellite stage and JLo had a stage left satellite stage. And those aren't great backgrounds way back there, right? Yeah. I can't, I can't get the footprint to do more you know, lights back there, left and right. Yeah. Um, and financially, it's also difficult. Yeah. So if you watch the Shakira portion, especially when the horn players come out, you know, they are hitting all the horn accents, yep. um, you know, and things like that. And so we have a background that's helping with, you know, tempo, timing, and storytelling. Yeah. So, you know, I think it was a good ad, but yeah, it wasn't meant to go high, wide, and, and see like Pepsi spelled out. Yeah, you know, before the show starts or anything, that was it wasn't the intent. Well, the other thing um, I think that's an interesting wrinkle on all of that is when it was the hat, it stayed pretty still. 
when it's a yeah. wristband, they're pumping their fists in the air and yeah, stuff, and, and that thing's bouncing more, yeah. all over the place. And it makes yeah. it a little tougher to, I, I got to be perfectly honest with you. When I watched it at first, I had read the, the uh, I'd looked at the plot and read the equipment list and stuff. And so I knew they were there, but I didn't see them. So I actually had to rewind and go back and watch it right. again to figure out where you had used the, or where they had used the, the pixel mod stuff. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of that that technology. I, I just think it's super cool being able to turn people into pixels, you know, wirelessly. Yeah, exactly. That's just really slick. Look at it from another standpoint, too, is, you know, the, the halftime shows evolved, right? So it used to be 20 years ago, the people in the stands, they literally got up to go get beer, go to the bathroom, whatever yeah, they're going to go yeah. do. They would watch the show, but they wouldn't anticipate it. Now people come to the Super Bowl, there is an anticipation of, seeing and witnessing the halftime show in person and they actually get quite excited to participate yeah when you so get if you look at lady gaga's yeah. year when we asked them all to hold up their cell phones yeah it was like a good 35 40 percent participation that's huge yeah well i remember even when 25 percent of their batteries are dead so there goes 25 percent of the people yeah. right there because they've been texting all day yeah. you know but it's a big thing so when you when you add these wristbands in it, it also helps get the crowd into the show and be more part of the show opposed yeah. to just fans watching the show. Yeah. No, that's cool. What, what were some of your, like a couple of your favorite moments? Uh, and I, I can tell you mine, for example, were um, just before cashmere Shakira doing the big yeah. rock and roll guitar thing with the big red looks yeah. that yeah. I thought was amazing. The Stilos I thought were incredible every time you used them pretty much whether they were in white or color i appreciate them much more in color because there's nothing in color yeah. that looks like a stylos no. you can just immediately no. go oh there's the stylos yeah um yeah. the big magenta look at the end of shakira i thought was beautiful uh the j-lo uh stripper pole laser thing that was going on that was <laughs> mm -hmm. pretty cool um, you know, I, I actually had to rewind past that cause I didn't notice the lasers in the first view. Cause I right. was going, is that JLo on a stripper pole? Yeah, uh, right. um, you know, and of course the, the runways, I, I love that look with the fixtures sort of built into the edges of the runways. That to me mm -hmm. is just a really cool look. So that was some of my favorite stuff. Yeah. So definitely my favorite like you, and I wish we'd gotten a little better high wide shots of it was the big tempo change for empire which is the song you're talking about right, right for cashmere okay um so i liked starting off that second it was her second song after uh she wolf yeah um i like starting off with that really tight close-up and that really soft lighting fixture i got on her face uh with no shadows yeah. as required by shakira <laughs> yeah. yeah and then it busting out into this massive rock moment and the white strobing of all the, the Arrington and the Zealuses were both like super cool. I thought when they were just rocking in white Yeah. and unfortunately it, white shot wise, it was kind of didn't totally work out perfectly. Like I really think uh, one beat longer, you really would have seen it even better. But if you obviously you watch it, I loved that moment. Yeah. I like that kind of moment too, when you have that massive transition. Oh yeah. Um, that, that's definitely one of my favorite moments. I also, you know, just, I'll tell you, you, you won't realize it, but that little moment where you saw the orchestra. So after she wolf, they go high wide. We introduced PixMob as stars in the stands. Yep. We then go to the orchestra. This is before we see um, Shakira in that close-up. We go to this little orchestra over stage, right? Getting that kind of light on 
an orchestra from 300 feet away yeah and the stadium is so difficult yeah it's just so difficult to model them that way if it was so you think you could dance i could do it in five seconds yeah and make them really interesting and modeled it was so difficult because we got so few shots at it yeah but anyway so i'm, I'm just like even happy with the way that looked but then yeah. i would say going to the next cool moment that felt good to me was uh j-lo's entrance when she's on top of the empire state building yeah that was cool um we took several of the um Perseos, as we called them, uh, and put them on the field behind her, actually on the grass, so we could uplight her. Because I just, you know, I always think if you, if you can generate the light from the right direction, it helps enhance what you think they're happening. So if you look at Gaga flying in, all the light on her was coming from straight down below. So it felt like she was descending into the show. And then if you look at JLo closely, that first moment, there's a lot of light under her arm, under her, you know, backlighting her hair, but from below which I hoped just generates a vibe that the lights, that city lights, you know, up onto her. Yeah. And then of course, once the music gets going, we turn it all on. But, um, so I, I like that moment. I even like that moment when she comes down with her dancers and she's sitting there for a minute, staring into that steady cam. Yeah. Which I thought was, uh, yeah, cool. that was cool. Yeah. The, uh, the stripper pole moment was good for us. Cause again, that's very difficult to do, uh, at a Super Bowl. It's just very hard to get delicate lighting. Yeah, um, because you're just throwing in from such a distance. If I'd had a little time without grow lights, I would have. I so we used the Arrington light from the ground, shuttered off of her, but onto the dancers, which turned out to be great side light. Yeah. Um, and then we also added some of the VL twenty six hundred backlight from above to get a little bit more depth light on them, so there was a little bit more depth in them. If I had a little time, I would have loved to add to audition some gobos into the twenty six hundred light that had a little rotation to it, nothing that you could identify, but just kind of adding to the body movement of yeah. the dancers. But yeah. we just didn't get the time yeah, you ran out to time. Uh, look at that without grow lights on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but I mean, I liked, I liked all, I liked those were kind of what I call, you know, lighting moments. Yeah. Recently. They weren't but entirely different from mine. On, sometimes I look at my guys and go, that's, that's ours. You know, yeah. that's our lighting moment. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I loved it. I mean, I, you know, again, for me, if you ask me what's my most memorable halftime moment from the last 20 years, it was definitely Prince. And, uh, you know, right. surprisingly, Bruno Mars was right up there for me, too, though. I, I expected to be completely underwhelmed, and I was blown away by the Bruno Mars one. Um, I mean, all yeah. of them. Every one of them has had, you know, moments. And, and uh, I agree. It's such a great show. It's so, it's so much fun to watch. So I wanted your thoughts on a couple of controversies that have followed since the <laughs> halftime show. And one is, you know, the whole, uh, you know, Sennheiser microphone gate where um, Shakira's mic in, in the close-ups is obviously off. And um, even though, from what I understand, you can turn the display off on a Sennheiser wireless mic, but yeah, you well, know, and I, and I couldn't. I mean, look, I don't, I don't know audio. I don't get into it. Unless yeah, I happen to be in on a conversation. I was in on some conversations with Gaga in her living room, yeah. where she goes, "I am absolutely singing." I'm yeah, like, whatever you want. Yeah, but most of the time, I'm not in on these conversations. I can only tell you her mic had to have been on because the things that you heard her say were not yeah. on my yeah track. Well, no, but the thing so is, I, too, I think people Mike was definitely on. I, I can't. That's about as far as I people I are know, just being but, silly, especially industry people. Yeah. Like I've seen this on industry Facebook chats where people are saying, oh, right. my God, they lip synced. And what do you think, dummy? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, of course, they're yeah. lip syncing. You have to to do a show that's that high energy with that much running around and dancing. And, you know, yeah, I don't to. know who did and who didn't lip sync, to be honest with you. I yeah. actually don't know. Yeah. And or 
even if one song isn't one song isn't i honestly don't know but i, don't I will care. say this that i know their mics worked <laughs> yeah because both of them said things yeah. that they were actually saying live yeah no and there were parts there were parts yeah there were parts where they were actually uh um, when yeah. both of them were on stage at the same time, there were parts where their microphones were absolutely on and where they did actually I mean, sing right. parts of it. Um, but it doesn't matter. In the industry should also appreciate that, that there is no commercial break. Yeah. There is no time. There is no fixing anything. Yeah. So to think that you would just completely throw this show out there yeah, and just stand there for 12 and a half minutes, shrugging your shoulders going, well, Mike didn't work or, well, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, the band gear didn't sound check. I mean, that would be ridiculous to go into a halftime show yeah. thinking that you would want to risk that entirely. Well, and the other thing that kind of drives me crazy is, is the people who, you know, were so dead set against the fact that it was two women that were being, that were showing sexuality and things like that. And it's a family yeah. show and all this exactly. stuff. Yeah. Again, I mean, kind of blows me away because I looked at it from completely the opposite side. And of course I'm a male, so I'm going to have a different uh, viewpoint yeah. on it, but you know, good honor. I mean, the, the fact that, that JLo after having kids and being 50 years old yeah. and, you know, can still pull that off. Good honor. And yeah. you know, Shakira's, Shakira's and honestly, a goddess in, Pierce, in person. Shakira looks like she's 35 to me in person. Yeah. I mean, her 43rd birthday was Super Bowl Sunday and wow. I, I was blown away by that. Yeah. I mean, I, it's amazing. They're both yeah. amazing. And, and, and I mean, they're incredibly fit yeah. and they're physical workaholics. Yeah. I, um, I just, they I never didn't, stopped. I couldn't believe the negativity that came out after it. Just, you know, really shaming it for being, you know, dirty or whatever. I, come on, man. It's the <laughs> most watched show of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most watched entertainment show of the year. And, and because of that, people want to get a voice in there and they want to criticize, you know, I look, I watched the Justin Timberlake halftime show about six months ago yeah. and I, you know what? It was a really good show. Yeah. He did. A, I thought he did a really good show and he absolutely got you know beat up for it. But I don't, I honestly don't know why, except that I think people just want the opportunity to be able to beat up on people. Yeah. There's, a, um, there's gotta there's be a, always going to be critics. Uh, so. Yeah. There's gotta be a left and a right of everything, you know, and it doesn't have to yeah, be political. Absolutely. It's just, you know, not everybody can like everything. You gotta be on the opposing side of yeah. it. So, um, so I always want to read things into this. So. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing I want to do here is I, I started doing this thing cause I asked people the same friggin' six questions. It seems every time I get on this <laughs> podcast. So I started this thing that I just call the quick six at the end of every podcast Okay. and it's six questions. And so first, what is okay. the best piece of advice you've ever given or received? Hmm. Well, probably two different things there, but when I, when I, uh, told Bill Collegius I was going to become a lighting designer full time. He goes, you're going to be just fine. Just remember two things. Don't ever be cheap. Cause that's the only reason they're hiring you or they'll hire you and you only work on cheap shows and producers lie. They don't mean to lie, but when they say, nah, you don't need to light the audience. They're going to shoot the audience. You better light them. Yeah. And those two pieces of advice actually have been true. <laughs> wow. Time. wow. <laughs> like he's absolutely right. And I, and I've called producers on it. I said, yeah. remember when you told me I didn't need to like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the, you know, the best advice I think I try and give, I do a lot of lectures at colleges. Um, and this, this lecture has got nothing to do with lighting. It's just that what I try and get people to understand is at the professional level, your skill set, whatever it may be, lighting designer is expected. So it's hard to impress people 
because you're able to do what you're supposed to be able to do. It's your attitude, work ethic, and personality that make you stand out. And that's what makes people say, you know what, I want to bring that person back on this job. I like work with them. Or even take a really young person that you're mentoring or, or around or whatever and say, but this person's attitude, work ethic, and personality are so good. I can teach them whatever it is they want to learn as long as they want to learn it. But that part love of that. you is so much more important than your skill set. Your skill set should be everything to you because if you love your skill set, you'll get out of bed early. You'll come in with a good attitude. The best part of your personality will come out. And you're going to stand there every day going, I'm going to do better than I did yesterday. I'm going to do better than that guy does over there. That's all great. You just have to understand that your boss isn't that impressed by it. He's more impressed. She's more impressed by your attitude, work ethic, and personality. So the two are very important, but one's very important to you. The other one's very important to everybody else because you're hired on your reputation and your reputation is what other people think of you. I love that so much. I mean, that... That to me, like I've heard it in so many different ways and I've said it in so many different ways, you know, higher uh, or um, higher, higher attitude and trained skills. Um, right. Or, you know, I mean, I've just heard it in so many ways, but that that is just so well said. And I love that. So what's you've done some incredible things. And I, I said a whole bunch of them on the intro that I, I did that you didn't hear before you came on. But in true. your in your career. <laughs> What is your pinch me moment? Your biggest pinch me moment? Well, um, so that, uh, you know, if you gave me two hours, I'd probably come up with 20 answers. But um, one of the first ones that comes to mind, it's also somewhat recent, was Super Bowl 51. God got standing on top of the roof. You know, we talked about it before and the, uh, you know, drone show that happened behind her because I was able, I was allowed to create that entire thing, putting together the three pieces of music, staging it, um, working with IntelliCourse, coming up with the imagery and the movement of the drones and then, you know, convincing her to jump off. And again, you know, everybody was involved in it. Ultimately the, you know, Hamish, our director made it work. Yeah. Ricky you know, said yes. And, and, you know, let's make this happen, even though it was a major, major to do it. I added an entire movie, um, to, you know, having to pull off a halftime show, yeah. everybody in production, like sc- scowled at me until it was over and then they liked it. But, yeah. um, but that moment was a big moment for me in my footprint in the entertainment industry, because it was, it was allowed, it allowed me to go another step further and, and do what I like to do, which was be challenged. Yeah. So that, it's a big deal for me. Yeah. Um, no, we also did a cool. job in Portofino, Italy with Andre Pacelli, where we lit the entire town of Portofino and we wow. were there for like 10 days. And I kept thinking, is this real? Like, that is are insane. we really lighting this little town every night and drinking wine and eating pizza at three o'clock in the morning? Cause that's, you know, when we'd finish lighting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is fantastic. That is so, cool. Yeah, that, that is really cool. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, you know, for me, I think one of the big ones was I was invited out, uh, Steve Cohen, was lighting the Eagles and he invited me to Sony studios in LA to go out to rehearsals. And I think I was meeting him at nine o'clock at night or something. And I pull into Sony studios and there's really nobody. I, th- I think I'm at the wrong studio cause there's only like two cars behind <laughs> it and there's nothing going on and it's dark. And so I kind of knock on the door, nobody answers. So I open and walk in and it's Steve Cohen, the front of house audio guy 
and the band is on stage in shorts and t-shirts and they just started hotel california and so i pulled uh, a yeah, i pulled great. a folding chair up about eight feet in front of the stage and just watched <laughs> them play hotel california for me you know <laughs> to, private concert <laughs> yeah thanks guys yeah. that was awesome I, 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 and i love all those moments yeah. i do love all those i like you know i think that's when you go back to the story of me being 16 and and working at that roadhouse theater at chico yeah. state was you know, you're backstage. I mean, Paul McCartney was eating lunch about 15 feet from me, Wow! you know, one day and I'm like, you know, and I'm like, that seems cool. <laughs> so I, I think I liked being backstage. You yeah. Know? No kidding. So what is one piece of gear or like a tool or whatever that you can't do your job without? You got to have it on every show. Uh, I mean, my quick answer besides it's the one piece of gear, the one piece of gear would be a great lighting director at whichever console they prefer. I, I absolutely cannot do a show without that. Yeah. I know that probably doesn't, and I'll, I'll give you another answer, but that is the most important piece of gear. Yeah, no, that, that works. Bring to a show is a, is a great lighting director on whichever console they want. I don't care what the console is as long as the console is reliable because I work in a very reliable dependent. Yeah, so you don't run industry. your own console. I wouldn't even know how. Yeah, well, that's... I never have run a console. Last, last lightboard I ran was a... Um, a, literally a manual board, manual preset board. Wow. That's awesome. So no, I don't know how to run a console and I don't even try to run a console and the way we work in television, everything is so quick that I try and, you know, we'll listen to the music together and then I try and paint a picture in everybody's head. If you take this to your Super Bowl, I've got three lighting directors plus Dave Grill, who is do more um, physical things with light plots and he doesn't run the console. Yeah. So we said, with the three guys and we'll listen to one of the songs and i go here's what i'm seeing i want to do this and i want to hold back on these lights don't use these lights i want to use these lights on the third song but then let this thing unleash at this tempo and let's all agree on maybe this color palette that's it and yeah. now those three lighting directors take their creativity and their capabilities and they take it up five notches yeah and then we put it all together and we sit down and watch it and then maybe collectively we can take it up some more yeah but I don't say take channel 28 to 52% and say Yeah, that, yeah. You know. No, you rely on so really, really great We work on a directors. totally different time frame. Yeah. And, but I do, I, yeah, I truly, truly, truly rely on these programmers because they're the ones that make it. Look, yeah. and we always tell students, you know, if you really want to get into lighting design, get behind a console. Yeah. If you want to get into business, you can do my job. Is, is there a piece of gear that hasn't been created that you would want created? Uh, well, we can defy physics. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, if you take the, the, you know, the Diablo and the, and the new 2600 and you take these led fixtures with shutters and gobos and, and irises, um, I think my headset, I think going to die on you. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love those lights. What I would take is a larger zoom ratio. Okay. I would take a, um, what are they now? They're nine to one larger, or. Yeah, it depends on where they want to go with their picture. So some some get down to five. Yeah, but they get up to like thirty. Some get to nine, but get to fifty. Okay. Um, so I would take a larger zoom ratio. I would also, you know, obviously love to see, you know, if this laser uh, engine can become harnessed. Um, I would love the purity uh, and the intensity of the co of the color capability. Yeah. Um, I like where fixtures are going. I, I want to be IP rated. I mean, the number one piece of gear I would like to see fixed is the networking system. I would like it to be much more robust, much more redundant. Um, 
It's funny you should say that. I'm doing a podcast tomorrow with a a guy whose company is called Constellate. It's a European guy, and um, he has created that basically. And so I know very little about it right now, just what he's told me on a series of calls and what I've read about it. And, uh, but it's at the very early front end of it. And it requires every manufacturer putting a little piece of hardware or licensing his hardware and putting it inside their light fixtures. And um, it just completely opens everything up. So I I don't know much more about it to talk about it or anything, but it's exactly what you're saying. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Because right now, I look at these ethernet connectors and think, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. This whole thing comes down to this cheesy, large telephone cable. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, the connector itself is horrific. Yeah. Um, I tend no, to agree with you. Alone, although these guys who are creating these networked lighting systems say that it's, it's as robust as a DMX connector, if not more so. And I, well, I just have a hard time. Let me tell you that I've been on too many shows and I disagree. Yeah. Like, come out to my show and you tell me that. Yeah, no, I, it, I agree with just, you. I, I want a more positive connection and that's the simplest of, you know, yeah. our problems at that, at that point. And I, I already know the answer to the next one, which who, who was or is the greatest influence in your career. And you've already, uh, made that really clear. Yeah, I've had a lot of them. I, I, to be honest with you, I really have had a lot of them. You know, Steve Ellis has, um, you know, got got me to fall in love with the business, and you know, Bill Clay just got me into television specials, and Bob Dickinson. You know, I spent twenty five years um, with him. Uh, there's a lot of people that deserve a lot of credit or yeah. blame, depending upon how you look at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly could probably easily sit down and make a list of 20 people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all can. And so last, how, if, if at all, and I know the answer to this is, is a vast one, but how do you give back? And, and I talk about this a lot on this podcast, you know, through mentoring or training or coaching or, or even just flat out charity, but our industry is very charitable with their time and and knowledge as far as giving back to younger designers or younger people coming into the industry or considering coming into the industry. So do you uh, have things that you specifically do in that regard? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I'm happy to do more of it. Um, I um, do a lot of lectures at a lot of colleges throughout the year. Um, Some of it's on lighting and other ones on attitude, work ethic and personality like we've just talked about yeah um which i'm happy to do plenty of um i like that we almost always have at least one intern at 22 degrees um where we're you know introducing them to this corner of the industry because you don't usually get introduced to it like in college you mainly teach theater which i think is important because it's the foundation of the industry of any portion of the entertainment industry but um television doesn't get a lot of exposure in school which is fine. So we are always trying to take on interested students and expose them to what, you know, what we do and do you find it interesting or not? And if you look at almost 80% of the people at 22 degrees, they came in through that program of ours. That's great. Um, I can't take on too many interns because we like to spend true time with them and not just have a school bus hanging out at a show. Yeah. So, you know, we actually want to give them tasks and, and get them to um, meet people and ask questions and learn and figure out if, you know, this is something they're interested in, but we are always trying to do that. Um, do interns actually get to, to work on real things? Like on, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. would an intern be yeah, able to work on or in an Super office. Bowl? 
we have an intern last four years we've had an intern at the super bowl every year oh wow um, it's come from uh, dave dave grill our main lighting director teaches at suny purchase oh and uh he grabs one graduating student every year and they come to the super bowl and he puts them in every different department for one day each to uh you know learn that's awesome what uh, a what an experience yeah, i mean jesus that is such an incredible yeah. experience we really don't do a lot of office work so most of our drafting and things like that happen while someone else is at another show yeah so whatever the intern is doing they're generally at um, a show doing something yeah. so you know i just think it's a better way to learn it's you're not going to learn much in this business from an office so very cool um, yes, we did that. I, you know, I, I contribute a lot to the Hemsley program, which I think is a fantastic yeah. program out of New York, um, financially. And I've done lectures and one-on-one yeah. interviews and things like that. Um, I have a scholarship at Chico state in my mom's name that I contribute money to. Um, but and also, you know, I always tell students just reach out to everybody and ask to interview them. And so anytime someone reaches out to me, I try and <laughs> make sure I hold up to my side of it saying, yeah. You know, people will answer you. Yeah. Oh, that's, so, uh, that's amazing. Whatever I can do, I'd be happy to do it if it's possible for me. Yeah. To well, no, that's, that's great. And so what's next for you? What's, what do you got? Uh, what's big coming up? Like, Oh, it has to be big. Well, I, I don't know because my favorite thing to do is it happens right after the Super Bowl every year is celebrity family feud. I've been doing family feud, the series yeah. for 22 years. I'm just there the first week sign off on it. If everybody's happy, then Ted Wells, the lighting director, uh, sits on it for the season, but we do celebrity family feud right afterwards, which is we, we all have it dialed in. It's a really easy show to do. And it's like going to a stand up comedy show for it's eight hours. So a day. funny. I so, mean, Steve Harvey's hilarious to coming out of high stress. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. He's and the, off camera stuff, the things that don't get edited in are, Oh, well, I mean, I just, you know, it's it's fun to sit there. These videos keep popping up on Facebook, like the funniest answer ever on family feud or whatever. And, uh, you know, I don't watch it. I don't really watch much television, but when those things pop up, I always watch them. And, and it's, he is so funny in the way he deals with these, uh, you know, these people in these, you know, funny situations and stuff. And, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the one or maybe you lit it. I don't know, but, uh, the, the, mama or you know another name for mother and uh i think it was another name for mother was the question and and this woman kept saying mama and then mama (laughs) (laughs) and she like she kept using the same answer and steve's like you're saying the same thing you can't just keep you know changing the accent on the word it's the same word oh it was so funny it's one of the funniest yeah i thought one of the most clever ones was uh uh finnish the, the finish this word uh pork mm-hmm. they finally got down to this kid yeah. it was only like 15 and he goes you pine yeah you pine i and remember it took that. everybody a minute it yeah. took everybody a minute but i thought it was genius <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. I mean, it was genius that the kid came up with that yeah but yeah that was a good 20 minutes for steve off camera laughing and yeah. making fun of it but, he's a uh, funny dude he's yeah, really that, a funny dude yes some people you know they kind of lose their minds when they're on camera uh, they had the bachelorettes on last year and he says, you're out camping, you've run out of toilet paper. What do you do? And the lady's like, squirrel. <laughs> squirrel. There it goes 15 minutes while Steve walks around the stage, you know, miming oh my using God. a squirrel as toilet paper, which was <laughs> That is so funny. Hilarious. So is it's funny. actually one of my favorite shows to do right after Super Bowl because I'm coming off of just 24-hour a day, what could go wrong, stress. Yeah. You know? 
into nothing can go wrong. Yeah. And everybody's happy and having a good time and oh, you know, sounds- laughing. And it's like a great show to fall into. If you're going to go to a show right after a show like that, you can't get a better show. To go that into. sounds super fun. Well, you know what? Thank you so much for doing this with me. And, uh, you know, I know you're a busy guy and, and, you know, you're probably resting and relaxing from this, uh, I'm going to go play golf. Oh, good for you. Good for you. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you very much, my friend. And, uh, and I will email you a link to the episode so that you can share it with your family and friends and, uh, and you have an amazing week. Yeah, you too. Let me know if I can ever help you with anything. All right. Thank you so much, Bob. Sweet, sweet child.